Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars with regards to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the fine folks at Double Exposure and their leading game design convention, Metatopia, from which all of these panels were recorded at Metatopia 2017. It's also thanks to the generous contributions of the panel speakers. Now let's get to the show. Episode 140, We Have Always GM'd. Presented by Kate Bullock, Michelle Lyons-McFarland, Catherine Miller, and Anna Kreider. Designer conventions, so Dreamation and, and Dexcon um, uh, GMs will come to me and say I want to run games, and I put everybody together and uh, then take care of them once they get here, um, which usually means leaving them alone to do their thing. And uh, um, I'm also a game designer. Um, I've written a couple of games, um, and I've worked with my husband, who's also a game designer. So I have. Uh, put out Sierra Homicide Unit, which is now undergoing a revision, and uh, a little teeny tiny uh, game called War Stories, um, which is <laughs> about people telling their, let me tell you about my character stories, and not fleeing in horror. Um, and uh, I guess that's, that's all about me that I can think of. Um, so. Okay. Next up is Anna um, so hi, my name is Anna Kreider. I have various competing microfames. Um, I am the former author of Go Make Me a Sandwich, um, a feminist gaming blog. Um, I've also been designing and publishing games um, since 2008. My most recent game um, was The Watch, uh, a fantasy game about um, women and non-binary people uh, smashing a very thinly veiled rep- allegorical representation of patriarchy. Um, I didn't know that I was good at jamming until Kate made me be on a jamming panel, and then I realized I was good at it. So, go Kate. Um, and on the end is Kate Bullock. Hello, I'm Kate Bullock. I'm the author of Blue Stockings Organic Gaming blog. I'm a co-host on the Gauntlet podcast as well as It's Like D&D. 
I organize Breakout Gaming Convention, and I'm one of the organizers for Fan Expo Canada in terms of RPGs. All right, uh, so starting with Kate, uh, tell us a little bit about when you started GMing and kind of how you got into it. I started GMing when I was 14, which was almost two decades ago now. And um, I started GMing because nobody else would. D&D 3.0 is out then, it was the new hot thing, and I picked it up. My mom bought me the orange box that came out and let me run her through an adventure. My mom's kind of my hero, and it was pretty It was pretty great. So it's been, I think, 18 years now. Wow. Um, yeah, so I moved from there to second edition, and then eventually to cyber generation, which blew my mind. That's awesome. Uh, so compared to Kate, I'm officially a fake geek girl. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I started running, well, so for a really, really long time, I would cheat by running GMless things when it was my turn to run. Uh, and, um, yeah, even then at, um, conventions, I, um, like when I started running games at Gen Con, the only way that I could afford to go after a while was to have them pay for my badge, and so I would just be like, I'm gonna run GMless things. Uh, and then one year, I was just like, hey, wouldn't it be fun to run the Shabalhiri Roach at Hogwarts? Um, and so I just kind of like did a very light hack of, of the roach and um, apparently I sent 14 people over to IPR to look for a game that had like they hadn't had at their booth for like a really long time. Like it was weird enough that they counted and I was like, well, fuck. <laughs> I need to be GMing my own, like I need to be running my own stuff. Uh, and, and so that pushed me into like actually GMing, uh, GM'd things uh, and that's, yeah. So it's been, it's only been a couple years that I've actually been jamming. And then this past year, I've, I've probably run 40 sessions of The Watch in the last year. It's been really intense. Wow. That's cool. So. Okay. Um, so I'm bad at math and ages. Um, I was in sixth grade. Um, actually, I was in fifth grade when I heard about D&D. And I wasn't allowed to play because I was a girl. Um, I was in... Sixth grade, and was doing as much as I could to get the boys that were playing D and D to let me play with them, but I wasn't cool enough. And then, fortunately, in seventh grade, um, they had a gaming club, which was the most awesomest thing I'd ever heard of. Um, we moved to the junior high. Junior high had all these after-school clubs. One of them was the gaming club, and it had all kinds of GMs. And one of them was a girl. So my my first experience playing D and D was under a female GM, and I was like, we can even be GMs. And by Christmas time, I that's all I wanted was the D and D books, and uh, I was uh, GMing by Christmas. Um, so that was a long time ago. Um, <laughs> I have been playing D&D pretty regularly since that time, even into college, which is how I met my husband, looking for the D&D game. Um, so, what else? You were GMing games since then? Yeah, I've, I've been GMing since then, and then after D&D lost its appeal, um, started playing other games like Mage and... Um, I had uh, the fortune of being exciting enough as a game master that, because uh, I had no money in college, I was one of those scholarship students, you know, not scholarship, but like on grants, 
um, a friend of mine um, bought the mage books and said, here, I want you to run them. You know, so I didn't even have to buy the games anymore. I could just run them. That was nice. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I've been doing this for, for a long time. Awesome. All right, so we have, like, quite the expertise here, and I'm really excited. So uh, let's go ahead and have some questions then, and see where that takes us. Who has questions? Well, that's not going to work out. Well, how long have you been there? Oh, so I've been running games. I suppose I should volunteer that. Um, I've been running games. My first game was like, I want to say, 90, 98. That's right, it was 98. Um, and I ran Shadowrun, and that was a really interesting intro into, into running games. Uh, and I thought I wasn't very good at it. And later I kind of came to realize that maybe I just wasn't very good at Shadowrun with that system, and that's okay. Um, but later I've gotten into running games. I really like Dresden Files. Um, I have a really good group for it. Um, and I've been running other stuff too. So it's very exciting. All right, how many of you run games? How long have you been running games? So I'm going to name times and like when we get back to something, just lower your hand. Okay, so how many of you have been running for one year? How many of you have been running for three years? How many of you have been running for five years? How many of you have been running for ten years? All right. <laughs> I think we can stop there. 10 plus. Awesome. For those of you who haven't raised your hand uh, and haven't been running games, are you thinking of running games? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so we need some questions. Um, yes. Yes. I resisted running for a very long time. When I started running games, I understood the game a lot better. You are on the opposite side of it. And that helped me as a player and it helped my player. So for any of you who are resisting, <laughs> um, really think about it. Give it a shot. It, it's really insightful and helpful. So I want to respond to that. Um, I. I feel like I like similarly really resisted running like traditional like I'm gonna be the GM and you're gonna be players style games um, because I didn't want to have that authority for a lot of the same reasons why I actively resisted being called a game designer for a really long time like for maybe two years after publishing my first game people would be <laughs> like oh Anna Kreider's a game designer and I'd be like no I'm not um, I feel like it's difficult for women um, because like it, a lot of us feel like, oh, I can't, I can't take on that position of authority. Like I, I have to like make the decisions and like, um, I don't know. There's like a lot of like bullshit status stuff that gets attached to that, and um, I think Powered by the Apocalypse has actually been really good for that in terms of like 
framing that whole GM player dynamic as like, no, we're all players, and this is like just moderating how we all have a conversation together. Um, I feel like that makes that made GMing like a lot more emotionally accessible for me. Um, I, I, I had less trouble viewing myself as a GM like through that lens of things. Um, because once it was like more collaborative, it was easy for me to be like, okay, I can, I can see myself in that role. So that actually brings up a good question. Um, so what, you prefer GMless games or have until very recently. What's, what's your favorite games to run? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, my favorite game to run is something that's going to make people sad. <laughs> so lately that's been, I do a lot of playtesting, so that's been a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse hacks and seeing how I feel about them, um, including The Watch by Anna Kreider. <laughs> um, and I'm playtesting my own game, so that takes up a lot of my time as well. But I like running things like Once Again 1244 and Witch, The Road to Lindisfarne, and like some stuff that really is pretty rules light, GM-less. But you're always a facilitator, even if there's no GM, right? Like your role, if you're bringing the game to the table, is still to facilitate. So you're kind of GMing, but you're not really. You're just kind of reining in everybody and explaining things. But I like a lot of hard-hitting stuff. So I run a lot of hard-hitting stuff. Uh, I write a lot of hard-hitting stuff. Um, until recently I would have said the watch is my favorite thing to run but it we're on a break <laughs> I, I overdid it um, we, it's, it, we're cool I just need some space um, <laughs> in my heart of hearts though like I fucking love fiasco like and like it makes me sad that the people in my home group are like comedy games shade I know right <laughs> yeah and I'm like I wrote a fiasco playset. That's how much I love that fucking game. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe 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 my dark game design is just thwarted comedic ambition. Um, <clears throat> this is a. You can hear me, right? I don't. I don't need to do the microphone, right? Okay. I think it helps the recording is all. Um. This is a more difficult question for me to answer because there are a lot of games I really love running. Um, I, uh, um, like Everway was the only game I ran for many, many, many years. Um, and then I was uh, pushing my husband's With Great Power game and that's actually one of my favorite games to run. It just still, I love playing that game and the, the interaction with the players and it's not GMless but it comes close because up to that point I was like GMless games suck I'm never going to do a game GMless game um, they just suck um, I, I don't like the round robin like getting stuck with somebody else's you know you've made the mess and now I have to figure out how to make a sentence I just I didn't get them and then my husband did this beautiful elegant um, with great power game and um, Everybody gets a chance to set a scene, and uh, the, the indie games themselves, as, as they came out, there was a lot of narrativist, oh, well, we're going to share authority, we're going we're gonna to build stories together at the table in different ways, in interesting ways. Um, and 
so like I, it's harder for me to like go to some of the older games, like uh, Dungeons and Dragons and Mage and um, uh, the one with all the dice. And Shatterat. That's the. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> because I really like the um, collaborativeness of uh, more GMless games. And so I ended up designing a GM this game, um, which I, I love running Zero Homicide. God. Um, but I also love um, Monster Hearts and um, even, um, yeah. So it's it, it, I can't really say a specific game as the types of games that I love to run um, are more of the story games where there's more collaboration between player or it's GMless itself and we're all sort of building a story together. Um, so I like a genre, I guess, or okay. a type. Yeah. We have a question. We have a question. <laughs> Let's do you and then you. So you you first. Oh, okay. Yellow shirt first. I was wondering, so how do you enforce or how do you encourage players who might not necessarily know each other um, to collaborate in a GM game? Because with a GMless game or with a story game, I feel more comfortable being like, okay, this is how we're going to do this. You should share ideas and work off of each other and stuff like that. But whenever I'm trying to run D&D or something more crunchy, um, where I am the one who's technically like in charge, then all of a sudden, People are off doing their own things, they're not talking to each other, they're making unilateral decisions, and all of my questions to try to bring them together are not to nothing. <laughs> yeah, so um, there's a thing called positive reinforcement. So <laughs> when your players are off doing their little lone wolf missions, uh, the first thing I always say is, okay, like no lone wolves. Like I just make it a rule. But if you end up having a player who does that anyways, they're like, okay, I'm gonna go do this thing. You're like, cool, great, you do that thing. All right, so what are you two doing? Right, so you just, you spend more time with the people who have game, like scenes together. Um, and the other thing you can do is like lay it out for them. If you're like, okay, so this is not a game where you're gonna go solo. If you do go solo, that's cool. I will follow you, but it will only be a couple minutes. I will always spend more time with the people who are having group scenes. So you set up expectations ahead of time and then you reward people doing what you want. Can I um, yeah. add to that? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think if we're, if we're specifically talking D&D, um, and not necessarily, I don't, I don't know what edition you're playing. Uh, it was Okay. Uh, the, you, can, you can set up specific point awards, you know, or like experience points. I mean, Players love to be bribed in D&D. They just, you know, so, you know, if um, the group of you staying together, don't even tell the person who goes off. The group of you staying together, you discover this, and it's now worth this many experience points. I missed that crap, you know, that's gonna keep. Um, but D&D uh, uh, &D especially has, uh, has always lent towards tinkering and drifting so that you can you can shape the game to get your players sort of to do what you 
need them to. Maybe not what you want them to, but you can at least get them to do what you need them to. Also, don't be afraid to do the thing, because in D&D, it is fine to just do something and hang a lantern on it. Like, you wake up and you're all shackled together. How did that happen? And let them yeah, figure it out. I mean, that's a little over the top, but so is D&D. So that's not a terrible idea. Um, gray shirt and then pink. Um, so I, I love a particular format so much that I design for it. Um, uh, I love games that are 10 to 12 sessions. Um, that is my sweet spot of campaign length for me. Uh, I lose patience with games if they go longer than that. And, um, and I find that that campaign length is often enough to get in like one to two like really satisfying character arcs per character. Um, and it also lets everyone have like, um, especially if you're in a play, playing in a group with like um, four or five players in the GM, like it lets everyone have like a good amount of like, this is my spotlight episode, right? Everyone gets like at least two of those. And um, yeah, so I, I get frustrated with games that are significantly shorter than six sessions and I lose patience with anything over 15. So <laughs> I just started writing games on purpose that fit that form factor because uh, it pleases me. I hate long games. <laughs> so my ideal sweet spot is four to six episodes. Six episodes is stretching it. Um, I really like, uh, you know how like The Walking Dead season one has six episodes and each one is dynamite? I love that sweet spot. And I think everyone should hit it hard and fast, which is why I love one shots, because you know you drive your characters like stolen cars. <laughs> um, so I love that, but I do love the arc of like a good four to six episode game, and then I'm kind of done with it. I like seasons. I'll come back to it later if I think it's really good, or I'll move to a new game, like from Monster Hearts to Urban Shadows. Like they grow up, but now we get to see them as adults. Um, I like that arc a lot, but if players are stalling and there's no character growth. Um, I will just burn it. Um, sadly, I don't. Uh, I don't have much choice. If uh, and, and I'm the odd woman out. <laughs> if I had a choice, I'd be running long-term campaigns because I, I love the feel of the building up of the story and where each each uh, player's character gets to. Um, uh, grow and develop, and we're all watching that together. Um, and uh, so I, I used to play, you know, um, like several month long campaigns of uh, Mage and D&D, uh, um, &D and you know, like we would just play, and it doesn't have to end, you know, sort of. Um, but I don't have the convenience of players like that anymore. So we get together, it's usually at conventions, which are one of the one shots. Um, and uh, our, our group, um, again, not so much with uh, the games that I'd like to run. Uh, I don't have a lot of players in my area that also enjoy them. So, you know, you're not going to force your friends to do stuff that they don't want to do. Um, often. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, 
if I had a choice, I'd be doing more longer term. Um, but I'd also have to find the right game that you could do longer term. So some of the um, some of the like uh, long term campaign of uh, Monster Hearts is just not a good idea. No, it's not built for that. No. So. Um, I tend to run, I'm like Anna, I really like, you know, 13 to 15 episode seasons, and then we take a break, and then we come back to it, like the following season, and we do another story arc, so. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm done after 15. Um, TV shows, it's TV shows. Yeah. It's, it's a away. season. No, I like miniseries. Uh, <laughs> BBC. Yeah, BBC. Oh, well, okay, I can kind of see that, but but that tends to be where I go, right? And of course, then the game that I designed was a one-shot GMless game. Like so, you do. what are you gonna do? <laughs> what are you gonna do? All right. Uh, yes. Oh, I was just a comment on like how you get your D&D players together. Um, I would do shared items. You know, like you see through, you wear this ring, the other person wears the ring, you see through their eyes, or they go and hear this or whatever. But things that force them <laughs> to be together to do something together with. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's also okay. Even in the really meta, mm-hmm. sometimes I'll just tell my players, like, you bring me someone else, because otherwise it's just me talking to you. Yeah. Yes. Um, I've had games since college, and I used to write my own campaigns. I'm okay with my current gaming group. It's my own friends and family, my husband, my wife. We're, we're great. We're groovy. But I've been asked by a game store to come in and run in the store. Now, in college, I I experienced a lot of, I'm a girl. I'm not supposed to be running games. And the game store I've been asked to come and run a game in because the, the, GM, the guy who walked the store said, oh my god, your campaigns sound awesome. Would you come and run some here? Some of the people in that store just don't like girl gamers at all. Like, well, talk to girl gamers at all. How do you deal with somebody who's going to argue with you and be, you know, quite hostile? I mean, granted, I'm the GM. I can make rocks fall and everybody dies, but I, I don't want to do that because I put a lot of work into my, into my campaign. Um, I have a tendency to run in the GURP system just because it's easy to teach people, great way to get people into the gaming community, and then move on to the indie if that's what they want. And I've run a couple of other systems too, but how do you handle the the guy to, you know, Can I take I'm not going to listen. Mm-hmm. I oh. have experienced it. I have had it. I have had somebody walk out. Ironically, uh, tomorrow I'm running a panel on uh, what to do when it's not all fun in games, uh, <laughs> which is bringing boundaries to your game table. Um, in, in your situation, you uh, you need to know who has the authority. Um, is it you or the game store guy? And you, you should know that before you play the game. Um, if I have a difficult player, ask the store owner, is it okay for me in your store to tell them they can't play at my table anymore? Um, because if that's going to be a problem for your game store owner, then you're going to have to negotiate with him. Well, if I get to a point where 
why i've got six seven people playing one of them is making sure that nobody else can have any fun at the game you're choosing the one person over the fun of these other people and that's not fair either but you'd want to you'd want to talk to the store owner to make sure that it's okay with them first if I get a problem player should I talk to you first and you can talk to them or should I just say I'm sorry your spot has been closed out for now and you don't have a spot at my table but negotiate with your store owner first so that you know what authority you have and then once you have that authority you're going to be challenged by the player at the table to see if it can be enforced and think of them as like two-year-olds so just because you say look we've had problems before I'm going to be running this I've talked it over with you know the the game table if you cause a problem during my game by exhibiting these behaviors I'm going to ask you to leave if that's going to be a problem with you before we start play then I'd like to fill that seat with somebody else who would enjoy being there I mean again that's like harder to do it's it's confront confrontational but the thing is your time is valuable you are valuable you have all of this creativity and world-building you want to give to these people who want to play one person who doesn't want to deal with girls because it's icky um, should not wreck everybody else's fun and it happens too often so that's how you could handle it if you're comfortable with it Kate? I get shy sometimes but I'm, I'm, this, this time it's because what he'll do is he'll turn to my to my husband and try to get my husband to to explain the game that I'm trying to demo and I'm like it's my game I'm demoing it so I'm just kind of nervous about that what does your husband do yeah what is your husband shutting that shit down like I am so we go out to the different game stores and demo oh and you're on boy heralds okay yeah we got talking to the, the store owner and I was saying oh I wrote this campaign about I did this whole murder mystery one with Santa Claus, and I've done, <laughs> I've done a, um, a campaign, a Black Ops campaign, the one he asked for was my Black Ops campaign, I've done a The Extraordinary Gentleman campaign, we, I've written all these really cool involved campaigns, and he goes, oh, you've got to run it in the shop, and would you come and do that for me on like the third Saturday of the month? And my husband can't do that because it's a it's a day he's got something else going. So if I'm just gonna go do it myself, gets me out of the house. And hey, I love this campaign. It's super cool. And it's I already have all the notes. It's all done. I've run it three or four times. It's gonna be awesome. And I'm just so nervous about going with some guy who's gonna be like your girl. So, what are you gonna do? Yeah, so I also run Toronto Area Gamers, which is a gaming community of 2,500 members, so I do a lot of this. And I've had people get up and leave my table because I'm a woman, and women can't GM. Um, not anymore, though. We got rid of that crap. So, uh, Kat is right. You need to, like, talk to the store owner and say, I need you to have my back. If that store owner is not okay with the fact that you are not okay to receive harassment, that store does not get your support. I'm pretty sure you will be. I just wanted to see how you guys handled it differently. So if it's at a 
Go ahead. He's a friend of the guy who owns the store, so I'm a little... If it were my table and someone was um, acting in a like passive-aggressively sexist way, yeah. I would be like, hey, can you not do that? It's kind of making me feel X, Y, Z because it's perceived as you know, A, B, C, and I realize that's not your intention, but it is kind of sexist, and if you could cut that out, I would be really, really grateful. Um, but if you can't cut it out, that's cool. We'll find you another game. Um, you have to be your own champion. You have to say, I am not willing to put up with this crap because you shouldn't have to, right? None of us should ever have to put up with the fact that someone thinks we're less than. And if we don't step up and kind of take a few shots to get rid of these people or to enforce to them that their bullshit isn't welcome, someone later is going to have to do it. And as a community, we have to come together and say no. So that means cutting support from game stores that aren't going to back you up. Um, and I just want to add to that um, that uh, I can't emphasize enough having a proactive conversation with the store owner um, and making it clear the actions that you expect him to take. Um, so not making it theoretical, saying, what happens if this happens? What are you going to do? What happens if this happens? What are you going to do? So definitely talk, um, as Kat was suggesting, about distribution of authority, who's going to be responsible for what. Um, uh, but also, um, I um, make it a policy now of I don't run games places that don't have a harassment yeah. policy. And if the store doesn't have a harassment policy, like, say, cool, let's write one. And if the store is not willing to do that, or if they're like, well, I mean, Wheaton's Law is enough of a harassment policy, right? Like, don't be a dick, then just don't run games there, because they are telling you right there that they don't value you. Um, there are game stores out there who are prepared to have your back, and there are communities out there who haven't had that conversation yet, but are open to having it. And so it's definitely worth being the person to bring that up if that policy doesn't exist in that space. Um, because like that is a, just because the, a, a place doesn't have policy doesn't mean that they're not open to one, but also like you need to be aggressive in like defending your self-worth um, and also trusting your perceptions. Like if an environment is hostile, I think a lot of the times as women, we get socialized to ignore our better instincts and just kind of go along with things um, when really, like, no, our first instinct was correct. And so, like, I, I do want to, I mean, without knowing the specifics of your situation, like, a lot of what you're saying makes you feel like maybe you have some feelings about this space that, like, would be worth considering. Uh, and at the very least, bringing them up with the store owner and saying, so here are reservations that I have about this space. Here is what I need to feel comfortable running games in this space. I need the power to do X, Y, and Z, and I need you to do A, B, and C if those things are challenged um, and back me up. Because that's the other thing is when women start building those kinds of relationships with people in power and getting help in exercising those kinds of boundaries, it makes our community more inclusive uh, and it marginalizes um, misogynists and um, racists and homophobes, uh, um, and it, it makes space for people who aren't just like cis white guys. Um, I have 
one thing to add, if it's okay? Mm-hmm. Um, you said that uh, the person giving you the trouble is a friend of the store. Yeah, he comes so there all the time. It's most likely that the store owner is aware that the guy's kind of a jerk and just, you know, lets him go because it's harmless. Yeah. So you letting the store owner know that mm, it's not harmless to me because it's being directed at me um, might allow the store owner to go, oh yeah, because I mean sometimes, you know, you, you have a friend, you you tend to like, oh, well he's just always like that, and that's that's what you get told, you, oh, he's just like that, and yeah, he can be like that to everybody else, but you are asking me to do a favor for you by running this game, and he's a problem for me. He's making me uncomfortable, and since he's your friend, you can decide what to do about it. I mean, the other thing to keep in mind, too, is because you're an envoy, this is a business discussion. This is a business event. Yeah. Even though it's a... That's an envoy. Right. My own personal campaign is not... Okay. I'm not going to use one from the list or anything. Right. I'm just going to run out of for fun. Sure, but you're still being asked by a business owner to do something in his business that will support and promote his business. You have a right to do that unmolested as a person who's doing business with him, right? Yeah. Frame it in a very professional context and say, this is professionally, you know, what we need to, for this to be acceptable and for this to work for you and for me, right? I mean, it's not just a thing of, oh, it's a friend, oh, it's a game, because we tend to write a lot of things off that way, right? But if we insist on having that professional courtesy, then, that sometimes helps reframe the conversation in a useful way. That makes sense. Awesome. Who else had a question? I feel like River had their hand up a couple times. Yes. Did you have a question? Yeah, I just, I'm still writing right now. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, sorry, the, the, yeah, Real quick, response to what you said. Uh, I've tried other things that you recommended for like D and D stuff and things where people tend to scatter around. Yeah, no XP for monsters, XP for plot points, no XP for something that you only keep to yourself, um, and start with something with a dagger in their back or start them all chained together. Like, give them a pain point that they all share, and they will form camaraderie. <laughs> Unless somebody's laid off in the first session, just do it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, um, and so what I was going to ask, actually, the dovetails to what you said, and it's, uh, what you asked is, I know a few women who have been very reticent to get into GMing because they're always playing the cleric, the support class, the character that's doing it, you know, labor for the party, and they see becoming the GM as an extension of that role. And I want to see how, like, if someone's feeling that way, how to talk about, okay, no, you don't necessarily have to do, you don't have to fill that role as a GM. You don't have to do all this additional labor necessarily, or as such. So that's... So, if we're talking like d and games, share the task, man. I want you to keep track of initiative. I want you to this, I want you to do that. <laughs> and everybody has a task. 
Sub-hop jobs. You can keep track of that, and you can keep track of this. Everybody's got something to do. If it's not just D&D, though, I would run Apocalypse World and remove the angel. I would give them roles they're not allowed to choose a healer in, so that, first of all, they break away from that habit. Um, and secondly, I would start getting them into GMless games and giving them a little bit more responsibility during that GMless game to be like, hey, what do you think? And just keep going back to them. And when people talk over them, be like, no, 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 we're listening to her right now. So that you're making that space for her so that she can feel like what she says matters and that she's not responsible for healing people because there's no healer. I feel like another game that was actually super empowering for me in like owning being a GM um, is uh, Dogs in the Vineyard um, because a hundred percent of how I run that game is so I mean you write the scenario and you define the NPCs and what they want um, and because uh, so for those of you who aren't familiar with Dogs in the Vineyard my elevator pitch is um, uh, a bunch of sheltered Mormon teenagers are given a gun a jar of dirt a holy book uh, and a horse, and go to, like told to go out and like solve people's problems, however they feel necessary. Um, it it always is productive. Um, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, uh, so you have these characters who have these uh, really fucked up ideas of how to solve things, and um, they always end up disagreeing with each other. So, like a hundred percent of how I run that game is like I just like. Someone will be like, okay, cool, I'm going to go do this. And I just turn to the person next to him. I'm like, did you hear what they just said? Isn't that kind of fucked up? <laughs> and then I just sit back and watch. Um, so, yeah, I, like there are games that lend themselves to that style of jamming. Um, games where the situation requires collaboration, um, but also encourages internal disagreement and... Um, I find I really enjoy those, but like it was very empowering for me as a GM of like, no, like my job is to like make you figure shit out, but also like kind of highlight your own bullshit and then let you figure it out, right? Um, and like learning to ask those kinds of questions um, and really like get the players to do their own like emotional labor is um, super rewarding. Yeah, I didn't actually start GMing until I started playing games where my characters kicked butt. Um, because I didn't really feel like I had a stake at the table until that point. So breaking out of like very traditional games uh, with those roles that you kind of get locked into, uh, I think is a really good first step. Um, I have a player at my table currently who had played D&D back in the day and hadn't played anything else and hadn't had a particularly good time. Um, and then she got to our table and we played Misspent Youth, which is Rob Bowles' amazing game. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to look at it, you totally should. Um, and she's like, this is the most fun I've ever had. And now she's looking at running a game because suddenly she felt ownership and she saw the narrative kind of stuff that she wanted in a game, but hadn't had previously. Um, so that, to her, being able to take control of that role and feel like she had a part in the story and could control some things made a huge difference to her. So, something to think about. All right, uh, we have time for about one more question. Anybody? Yes. 
Your men need to back you up. You need yeah. to pull them aside, and you need to tell them this shit, and you need to be like, it is not okay to spectate when that happens. Um, because unfortunately, like, um, those dudes will only listen to dudes. And that is absolutely infuriating, but like, yes. So the best and quickest way to deal with it is like, you need to school your dudes and be like, this is a thing that keeps happening, and the fact that you are letting it happen is not okay. Um, and now that you know that it is happening, I mean, let the fact that they didn't see it is a problem, but then also, like, your inaction is not acceptable. What are we going to do about this? And work out some scripts. Um, it doesn't always have to be super confrontational, and different people have different ways that they want to react to that, but... Um, you know, it, it could be as simple as, you know, having, um, having like a code word or like a certain like gesture. Um, but like as a woman who has collaborated with men on things and had them get more credit, like I hear you and your pain and like, please do not minimize your feelings. They are important and valid and um, yeah, talk to your collaborators and tell them how you're feeling and um, that you need to be supported in order to continue working with them um, and tell them this is what I need and how are you going to make that happen. Also when you're at cons like this, make some connections with some other really badass women and femmes and non-binary folk because uh, we will smash them for you. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah, like if Abby hasn't put you in the cred bureau yet, we will hook you up. Um, and it continues no matter what. Like as a con organizer, as a community organizer, we've actually started like not having cis dude organizers um, in Toronto Year Gamers as much because we're like, they will talk to them and not to us. So all the main organizers now are women um, and there's just no one to talk to but us. You don't get the choice. But even then when we're dealing with some like people who work for the biggest fantasy game in the world. Um, <laughs> they uh, won't respond to us unless our male organizer emails them. So it still happens, and in those cases, sometimes you have to bite the bullet and make the dudes do the work, but that's when you talk to your dudes and you're like, all right, step up. And if you have to sit there and send them 50 million articles on like how to be a good ally, it sucks you have to do that labor and that's not fair, but there's not usually another out. Uh, but the other option is having a really good support network of, of people who get it and who so have your fun. back and will come over and be like, hey, this is the other designer. Would you like to meet her? 
she's done a lot of work. Isn't this awesome? Or when they're playing your game um, and someone compliments something, make sure your partner is like, yeah, she did that. Right? Like, make sure you're getting the credit that you deserve and your name goes first on shit. Yeah. I know this is the wrong thing to do. I was raised a little passive-aggressive. So when I get snubbed, I immediately, you don't exist. And I would be talking to the rest of the players and just forgetting his turn. You know, again, that's <laughs> just me. Um, I, like I don't, uh, I don't handle, um, I don't handle that well. Um, and yeah, your uh, your support team really should be on your side. Um, if they're not there, it's still your your game. You're the person that has put your um, time and soul into game design. Um, in fact, in, in, in that instance, and, and, and pretty much every time you walk around uh, the convention, you're a little goddess. I mean, you have the ability to create something that this dude who doesn't want to look at you doesn't have. You have more power, value, authority than this dude who just dissed you will ever have in this place. So, um, some guys, and even some girls, um, will try and make other people feel small, cut them down. Um, it, it happens a lot with guys. Um, but, uh, again, if you're, if you're, if there's not anything that you can do about it at that moment, um, if you don't feel confident enough in challenging him at the moment and you don't have your um, team to back you up, because the other thing is you can say is, hey, I'm right here and I'm the designer and I feel like you disrespected me. That's actually the honorable and better thing to do than the whole passive aggressive thing. So I advise this, don't probably do the other um, because you have the right to get the greeting, the, you know, you don't have to deal with being disrespected, especially not in this space. And if the person is going to continue to disrespect you, then um, get their name down mm -hmm. and find any of the convention staff and said, I have this horrible experience in my last playtest with this person so that we can start compiling a list of people who are um, not safe. You know, that's at least the least we can do. But yeah, I just one more thing. I just want to add that literally everyone at this table has felt that way, and you're yeah, not alone. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the thing that that one of the reasons that we that I I want to do this panel right, um, and kind of take it as far as it can go is because the discussion for a long time has been how do you get women at your table? Well, it is our table, right? This is our table. Your board game is on your table. Right? You have ownership there. That's your space. And it is okay to step up and claim it. Right? It's not a question of how does somebody get us to play at their table. It's a question of how do you get to play at ours? Right? And that is okay. Yes. <laughs> There's nothing to add to that. <laughs> Well, thank you all so much yeah. for coming. We really appreciate it.
Enjoy your evenings. Thank you to my co-panelists.